Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is John Sherrill. I, too, am one of the pastors here, along with Pastor Brian and Pastor Sam and Pastor Paul, too. Uh, so it's good to be with you. We're continuing a fall series in the letter of First Peter, a series called Against the Tide. Uh, Martin Luther said of this little letter of First Peter uh, that it will, quote, show you Christ and teach you all that is necessary for you to know about salvation, even if you were never to see or hear any other book. That's a pretty amazing claim, isn't it? The, the whole gospel is contained in this little letter of First Peter. I, I don't know if you've been tracking with the whole series, but we saw that quite clearly last week. You know, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That was the passage we dealt with last week. We, we hear and see the basic message of God's love for people, for us, for, for the whole world, that God sent Jesus to not only forgive us of our sins, but to transfer into our spiritual bank account, so to speak, the perfect righteousness of Christ. So the whole gospel is that we're not just forgiven for the things we've done wrong in the past, but that we've been given the righteousness of Christ and stand before God this day if we're in Christ uh, in, in a way where God sees us like he sees Jesus. Jesus having fulfilled all of the requirements of the law on our behalf perfectly and forever. That's what Jesus meant when on the cross, some of his final words, you know, he said, it is finished. There's no more to do. It's done. And if you're in Christ, by God's grace and through faith, you're free. We're free. And there's this glorious freedom that comes from that. So the, the whole message of the gospel contained in this little letter. And, and beyond that, that wonderful message of the gospel, Peter was writing to Christians experiencing a particularly difficult time. They were suffering because of their faith in Jesus. And he wrote to encourage them to live against the tide of their culture, not to abandon their place in society by kind of separating uh, themselves from it to kind of keep themselves pure and clean, uh, but to stay right in it, to be in it, but to be different, to be distinct. Uh, there's that classic line, be in the world, but not of the world, right? That's what Peter is training these believers in how to do. So he was writing to followers of Jesus in the region we know today as Turkey. This was a crossroads of culture, a highway for commerce. So it was a place where there was a lot of conversation and there was a lot of tension between the prevailing Roman culture and the way of Jesus. So to encourage these believers, Peter does a couple things. He leads with this. I'm rewinding quickly to the, the beginning of the series. He starts by reminding them of their identity in Jesus. He says, remember whose you are. You belong to the living God who created everything there is. Remember whose you are. We spent the first several weeks of this series on this. That's the first thing Peter does. Remember who you are. Remember that you have new life in Christ. Not kind of new, completely new. It's not just a silo in your life, the silo of religion or spirituality. It's your whole life. It's brand new. You can live in that righteousness of Christ. So that's what Peter does first. Then in this middle section of the letter, he turns to some case studies, uh, situations in life that everyone to whom he was writing would have understood. 
And he presents these cases in such a way as to kind of play out what it means that we belong to God and what it means that we have new life in Christ. And the first of those situations was how to live well under authority or specifically as a citizen of a nation that might not share the same values that you do as a follower of Jesus. And Pastor Brian preached on that several weeks ago. And then the second case study is how to live well through injustice. That's what we touched on last week. You know, Peter's coaching to slaves to, to submit to their masters, even to harsh masters. I mean, it seems like a kind of crazy teaching, like the Bible's endorsing slavery, but the, the larger point was to us as Christians, no matter the situation in which we find ourselves, be it easy or difficult, fair or very unfair, we're all called to imitate Christ's example. And his example, remember, was that when he was punished, he did not retaliate. Not only did he not retaliate, he did not even threaten retaliation. That's how we're called to live, living well through injustice. And the third case study is the passage we read today, and it has to do with living well in marriage. Now, at first glance, like the passage last week, it might seem difficult. This one, as if the Bible is teaching that wives should just be subservient to their husbands. But we'll see, I think, that the point was not that. In fact, I think the larger point is about 180 degrees from that. Uh, but we'll unpack that, and I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's listen to the scripture, and then we'll unpack it. Chapter 3 of uh, 1 Peter. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks, Randy. One of the arguments for preaching straight through a book of the Bible is that you hit all the passages, even the challenging ones, right? So let's kind of un- unpack this, look at the first couple verses again. Uh, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Cultural background is always important as we uh, seek to understand what the Bible is actually saying, and and it's important in this passage as well. Peter was writing, of course, to a male-dominated society and culture. And back in that day, wives were considered to be the property of their husbands, literally the property. One, one commentator put it this way, husbands owned sheep, cattle, and their wives. That was the status of things. A, a wife was required to remain married to her husband, but at any time, for any reason, the husband could divorce his wife if he just woke up and felt differently that morning. There was no understanding of mutuality in in marriage. Everything leaned toward the man as the center of the marriage and of all of the society. In fact, it was um, not uncommon in the ancient world when a family was traveling, if they had one donkey, the man would be riding on the donkey and the woman would be walking alongside. That's the way stuff worked. Another big part of the culture in that day, especially in the Roman culture, was uh, what was known as the pater familias, or this idea that the family's religion was transmitted through the males. There was a, a kind of alpha male in the household, right? And, and everything flowed through that, that man. So it was expected that when a woman got married, she would renounce the God of her father or of her family of origin and worship the gods of her new husband. Basically, it was understood that as it went with the ranking male in a household in that day, so it went with the whole family. And we, we might see glimpses of this, we're not sure, but might see glimpses of this in, in the biblical stories when a person comes to faith and, it, and the, the Bible says he and his whole household were baptized. We hope they all came to Christ, but we don't know exactly what happened in that. There might be some cultural underpinnings there. So that's, that's the quick skinny. Wives were thought to be possessions, They were expected to follow their husband's lead spiritually to worship whatever he did. So with that understanding, let's read this text again and see that there's a couple really big things going on here. First, the command to submit is phrased in such a way that it applies not just to wives, but to husbands too. If we we fast forward to verse 7, Peter writes, Husbands, in the same way, meaning the way of submitting, the way a wife submitted to her husband, husbands in the same way, be considerate of your wives. Uh, so, so what the apostle Peter implies here, the apostle Paul states outrightly in Ephesians before a big chunk of teaching about marriage. And Paul wrote this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that message was revolutionary in that day. Husbands being called to submit to their wives was a whole brand new unheard of idea. And what it boils down to is this, because of Jesus, our understanding of the value and role of women in marriage is completely different, completely changed. 
I, I don't know how many of you caught this book that was released back in 2011. It was a book titled, The Book That Made Your World, How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. And it's a good read. It, it's a long read. Basically, it's about many of the things that we take for granted in Western culture, which, if you actually do the historical homework, you realize that they emerged as elements of Western culture only because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, these things would not have happened. And the passage before us today is a prime example of that. It's only because of the teaching of the gospel, the teachings of Jesus, that our culture emerged from a male-dominated, highly paternalistic way of thinking. And the gospel of Jesus was the compelling force in the world driving social and economic empowerment for women. It wasn't coming from anywhere else. So what we live in today, what we often take for granted, and we look back and think, man, they were so backwards and sideways back. How could, every, how could anyone have lived that way? That is a reality now because of Jesus, not because of anything else. You know, no longer were wives understood as property in marriage, but as fellow human beings created in the image of God. That was revolutionary. It's no longer a one-way street because in Christ we see everyone, everyone now, not just wives and husbands, but everyone as having been created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect for that reason alone. Everyone. Look at, look at what Paul says in Galatians. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the first big thing going on in this passage. Peter is suggesting mutual submission, which was unheard of and revolutionary in the day. The second is this. It has to do with the kind of situation Peter had in mind. Peter says to wives, submit to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe. So the specific situation to which Peter was writing was a marriage where the wife is a follower of Jesus and the husband is not. Now remember the cultural mandate again back in that day, the, the paterfamilias. So uh, the wife was supposed to submit to the spiritual leadership of the husband. So by the, by the very fact that Peter is giving instructions to wives as to how to live in this situation as a Christian, rather than simply saying, hey, get in line with your husband, that was revolutionary. I mean, these are unheard of social uh, instructions. And they're revolutionary because the gospel is revolutionary. It's brand new. I mean, through, through his most basic claim, Jesus presented himself not as one of many religious teachers. He claimed to be the way and the truth and the life. The one way, the, the best truth, and the only path to life. I mean, he did not present himself as one of many ways to God. He said that no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I, I remember before I was a Christian, I thought these things sounded so arrogant and, 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 and off. And, wow, how could anybody say something like that? And I've come to understand the reason for all of that is that we're so broken 
There's no way we can fix ourselves, improve ourselves enough to offer ourselves to God. We need not only to be uh, bettered, made better in some small way, we need to be reborn. I mean, we need a whole new thing, right? And we can't do that on our own. So, so when the world or the ancient Roman culture of the paterfamilias, you know, the wife should assume the husband's religion, this is the world's approach to spirituality, which is you and I should look around for what seems good and pick that. Or you know what? Really, it could function more like a buffet. You could take a little of this and a little of that and a little of that. Just, just make the plate that looks most appealing to you and go with that. And the reality of following Jesus is completely different than that. Because rather than the buffet of religions before us, the claim is that God came to earth from heaven and said, hey, I want you, this is the way. The, the, the claim is entirely different. I, I love the way C.S. Lewis summarizes this in Mere Christianity. He has a whole section on this point and he, he concludes that section with this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, meaning Jesus, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would, be, he would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any of this patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And that the truth that Jesus is who he claimed to be meant something very important for wives who became believers while their husbands were not yet followers of Jesus. Because of their faith in Jesus, wives simply could not abandon the truth that Jesus is Lord and abide by some other spiritual belief because their first calling, of course, is to their creator and their Lord, not to their husband. They simply could not go with the flow on this one. They had to live against the tide of their culture. And at the same time, Peter was mindful that this was risky because women had no power and were expected to live by the rules. That Roman idea that the ranking male ruled the spirituality of the household. It was a tricky situation for wives in that day to become followers of Jesus and no longer follow their husband's lead. I mean, it threatened the stability of marriage and it was a threatening thing to the society. Thus, Peter's instruction to those wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Translated, don't stop following Jesus because your husband isn't yet a believer, but be, be aware of the dynamics and makeup of most men because we're strange creatures. There's a pride down in there that gets injured quite easily 
We enjoy being respected, and anything that threatens that has the potential to put us on the defensive. Then, mostly because we're so boneheaded, it gets tough to talk to us. That's what Peter's getting at, and thus why he says that they, the husbands, may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. No harping. No preaching. This is great advice for our engagement with anyone who's not yet a follower of Jesus, a friend, a family member. No making the case for Christ by trying to step in front of the Holy Spirit and create conviction in the other person. That never works. Don't do it. All you'll end up doing is damaging your relationship. Remember Billy Graham's great, great quote. I've said this often. I hope you remember it when uh, questioned after President Clinton's moral scandal. Billy Graham stuck with the president. When questioned about that by the evangelical world, Billy put all the conversation to rest simply by saying, well, it's my understanding that it's God's job to love, the Holy Spirit's job to convict. Uh, I'm sorry, God's job to judge, the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and my job to love, right? He couldn't create conviction in another person. None of us can. Peter to those wives, just a gentle and quiet spirit, a long obedience in the same direction, an inner self unswervingly committed to Jesus and to taking the posture of a missionary in in every relationship in life, but this one, uh, taking the posture of a missionary with your spouse even. So if you're a wife who follows Jesus and whose husband does not yet, that's Peter's best advice. The truth is the truth. That has not changed. We follow Jesus. He is all he claimed to be. He did exactly what he said he came to do. He's alive right now. And he's powerful, mighty to save. Now, a quick caveat here. Uh, Lest my words be heard as a kind of frosting covering up situations of abuse. Let's just speak directly about that. Uh, God does not call us to remain in abusive relationships. So Peter is not saying to wives who are living in an abusive marriage, you should stay and try to win over your husband. There are incredibly challenging situations in, in this life for which we should seek Christian counsel and pray and follow Jesus the best we can. We have a high view of marriage, and no one is called to remain in abusive marriage. Peter's words to wives, how, how to live well in marriage when you believe in your husband doesn't. But husbands don't get off the hook. All right, look at verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now remember the cultural context again. Uh, Wives were considered property expected to adopt their husband's spiritual direction. Peter writes, husbands in the same way, that's referring to that way of submission. That's the mutual submission thing again. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. If you do the homework on the original language there, that could uh, literally be rendered 
Husbands, in the same way, live knowledgeably with your wife. Live knowledgeably. What does that actually mean? Live as a person whose thoughts and presence have been transformed to reflect the thoughts and presence of God more faithfully. Live knowledgeably. Uh, Aware that God created each person in his image. You know your spouse better than anyone. Spouses know that they're both broken people, very imperfect people. And we hold on to this reality that God created our spouse in the image of God if we are married. God is about the work of redeeming all creation. Live knowledgeably. Hold this in mind. There's something going on in this world. It's not just yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is up to something. Big. Huge. God is about the work of redeeming all of creation. He wants everybody everywhere to come back to him. To to choose to worship him willingly. to, To offer ourselves to him by our own choice. God wants there to be reconciliation between all people and himself. God calls married couples to a life of mutual submission. Live knowledgeably, husbands, Peter says. Live with all of this in mind as you relate to your your wife. The, The weaker partner bit I take as a reference to general physical strength. Typically men are physically stronger than women, not all the time. This is just typical. And the typical way of the world is for the strong to dominate the weak. For the powerful to overpower those with less power. To use them, to hold them in contempt even. Not so for followers of Jesus. It's exactly opposite for us. The way of Jesus is to honor and respect the weak, knowing that just because we might have power, we are never justified in using it to dominate others because it's a gift to us from God that we are called to steward and use for good and justice in the world not our own advancement. This is another completely revolutionary distinctive of the Christian faith. Paul put it this way in writing to the Corinthians. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. This drove Frederick Nietzsche crazy. Crazy. Nietzsche despised Christianity because of its compassion for the weak, writes Dr. Bill Brownson. But what he scoffed at is still the glory of the gospel. Beautiful, isn't it? Jesus showed us the way we should use any power we might possess in this life. He is our example. And finally, says Peter, husbands, recognize that your wives are co-heirs with you of God's gracious gift of life in Christ. And the revolution continues. Again, this was revolutionary in a society where women rarely inherited anything. All the inheritance ran through the sons, not the daughters. And here Peter says, hey, husbands, you and your wife are equals when it comes to God's gifts and inheritance. By grace, you are both able to receive the gift of life that Jesus made available on the cross. By grace, you will both receive that inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, of which I, Peter, wrote earlier in this letter. 
Husbands, live knowledgeably. Then Peter turns the corner from from living well in marriage to a kind of summary of all three case studies for this middle section of the book on how to live well as a follower of Jesus. And the summary is less about kind of specific ways to follow Jesus and more about a posture for living, a a way to be present with other people, how how we're called to be in this world, both with fellow followers of Christ and with a world who doesn't know Jesus from the man on the moon. Verse 8 is about the posture, and verse 9 is how this posture pushes against the tide of culture. Look at verse 8, the posture. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. All of you followers of Christ do these things. This is how we live out our faith that Jesus is alive right now, even though a whole lot of the world knows nothing of it and might be opposed to the idea because it threatens what they think they have. Be be like-minded, Peter writes. Be unified in the message of the gospel and its claims upon you. Be sympathetic, meaning sensitive to the emotions of other people. Not just sensitive to the thoughts of other people, Sensitive to the emotions of other people. Sympathetic. Love one another. And again, this isn't the mushy romantic feeling. When the Bible speaks of love, it points to Jesus as the definition of that. The best love is a self-giving love. Where we give of ourselves, where we give of what we have, where we lay down our lives. You know, it's a self-giving love. Love one another as defined by the degree to which you are willing to give of yourself for others. That's how you love. And by the way, that is the way you can love your enemies, as radical as that seems, by giving of yourself for those who might even seek to do you harm. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's how deeply God changes us. Be compassionate. Means be tender-hearted and warm toward other people. Be humble. Don't don't think too much of yourself. And and as you're not thinking too much of yourself, offer that in a spirit of deference. That's our posture. And it's so different than the world is. I mean, completely different. It's a completely different way to live. That's verse 9. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. I mean, the way of the world is tit for tat, right? Evil for evil. Insult for insult. You know this way. It's inside of you, and you want to go there sometimes. Don't be surprised that I know that about you because I know myself, and I know that this is inside of me, and I want to go there sometimes. There are big examples and and small, silly examples. Let me share a small, silly example with you. Back when I was a pastor in Des Moines, Iowa, I had a home equity line of credit loan on my house. I made my payments faithfully. One payment submitted 10 days before the due date. 
arrived at the bank three days before the due date. It took a little longer, but I was slapped with a hefty fee for late payment. Marched over to the bank and said, "Why? Well, I, I sent it ten days before, and it it arrived seven days before, or three days before, right? Oh yeah, we have confirmation. Your check arrived three days before it was due. Well, why? Why the fee? Oh, we didn't get it processed in time. I mean, you feel it, right? Like what? <laughs> everything in everything in me wanted to say, "This is the stupidest thing." Who are you from Mars? The manager would not relent. Would not relent. So, I mean, this is a silly small example, right? There are much harder examples in in real life. But it gets to the point: what's going on inside of you? You want to hit back? Want to like jab the knife? Like, like at least metaphorically, right? Not really, of course. But like, I'm so angry. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. There's there's a completely different way to be and live in Jesus. And and Peter says, no matter the situation, right? As a citizen of a nation where big things are happening over which you have very little control and you wish they would go the other way. As slaves of harsh masters or in our day people enduring injustice in some way where we have no power to change the situation even in that incredibly unjust situation, followers of Jesus are still called to follow Jesus, to be different. Wives of unbelieving husbands, tricky situation, situation that has a lot of similarities to our connectedness to the world, a believing part and an unbelieving part, right? Whatever the situation writes Peter, we as followers of Jesus live by Jesus' way. And remember that way. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Uh, Please replay in us the words that were from you and scrub the words that weren't and help us know how you would have us apply this word to our lives. Please, God, we want to grow in Christ. We don't simply want to hear the word. We want to do the word. So help us know what that is for us today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.